Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Today's show is also sponsored by Videoblocks, a stock media company with clips that everyone can afford. With Videoblocks subscription, you get unlimited daily downloads from a library of 115,000 HD video clips, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and cinemagraphs. On average, subscribers pay less than a dollar per download over the course of a year. Everything is 100% royalty-free. Even if you cancel your subscription, you keep what you download and maintain usage rights forever. Get your yearly subscription today for $99 at videoblocks.com slash ask, and you can have all the cat videos you want. And finally, today is made possible by Qualcomm. First, they connected the phone to the internet. Now they're connecting the internet to everything else. Qualcomm, they're the inventors bringing the future forward faster. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, senior editor of technology at The Verge. And this is Too Embarrassed to Ask, a podcast that's all about making technology easier to understand and use. That's right. And if you have questions about technology that you've been too embarrassed to ask, you have found the right podcast. No question is a bad question. I like to say that. Kara says there are bad questions. I still think you could send us anything you want. We'll try to answer it. So send us your questions. Submit your questions in advance by tweeting them to at Recode or to myself or to Lauren with the hashtag too embarrassed. That's two R's and two S's in embarrassed in case you cannot spell. And if you can't spell, please don't send a question. <laughs> Our Twitter handles are at Lauren Good with an E and Kara's is at I love Lauren Good with an E. So just be sure to send us your questions there. It's not easy. Either. It's at Kara Swisher. You can find our past episodes in iTunes at iTunes.com slash too embarrassed to ask. And while you're there, leave us a review. Five stars. Five stars. Normally, I would say it's good to be talking with you, Lauren Good. But I think today I will remark that it's good to be talking with Lauren Good Day. Oh, my God. Oh God. Who wrote this, Eric? Because I'm coming to you from the land down under in Sydney, Australia. I am here. Uh, and it's tomorrow, by the way, FYI, just so you know. This is how far you will go to get away from me. You will travel to the other side of the world. And by the way, ask our producers to find you a studio in Australia and book some crazy time that works for Kara Swisher just because it's like you didn't want to be in the same room. You just didn't want to be in the same room as me. Post-lunch. You have a post-lunch situation. Uh, They (laughs) want me to make a shrimp on the Barbie joke, but I'm not going to do it because I do not ever go to an Outback Steakhouse. So... Really? I've been to a barbecue with you. We went in Austin once, like a long time ago. Yeah, that was that? a real barbecue. That was a real Texas barbecue. And you, the Australians don't have real barbecue? I have no idea. It's a very sophisticated <laughs> country. Don't make like stereotypes. You need to go to with, one. Like, koala bears and kangaroos. <laughs> There's no crocodile Dundee around here. <laughs> no. We just Are you take other fosters? people's cultures and like twist them in a sad and pathetic way. Uh, well, today I'm too embarrassed to ask. We're going to take advantage of the fact that Kara is in Australia and we're speaking to an entrepreneur who is uh, heading up a really cool company down there in Australia. And we're talking all about creative tools. But we're not talking about professional software, stuff that can get pretty expensive and is generally for pros or prosumers, things like Photoshop or Final Cut Pro. Instead, we're going to focus on what you can make when you are not a pro. To help us understand that, I have here in Sydney with me the co-founder and CEO of Canva, 
Melanie Perkins. Hi, Mel. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So you're a company in Australia, but you've raised a Silicon Valley amount of money for this startup and this app, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So how much have you raised? We've raised $27 million. Which is a lot, which it is an enormous is a lot. amount. You yeah. started it how many years ago? We launched three years ago, but it's been a long journey in the making. So I came up with the idea about 10 years ago now. Okay. All right. So why don't you walk us through what it does? <laughs> So it is a very, very simple to use graphic design platform. So even if you've had absolutely no design experience, you can create a pitch deck or a presentation, social media graphics um, very, very quickly and easily. And so uh, tell us a little bit of how you got the idea for this. I read online a story that was done about you guys that you actually started out creating online yearbook tools and then it kind of evolved into this more of like a mask you know, consumer tool. Yeah, that's exactly right. So when I was at university, I was teaching design programs, so things like Photoshop and InDesign, and they were super complex and difficult. And I thought in the future, it was all going to be online and collaborative and much, much simpler. And so quit uni and started um, my first company, which took this big concept and applied it to the school yearbook market in Australia. And then that became the largest yearbook company in Australia and launched in France, New Zealand. But we wanted to, we always wanted to take it to a much bigger market, enable everyone to design everything. And so a few years ago, set to work on getting Canvas started. Okay, so why is it so hard to do design as it is in software? Because, you know, Final Cut Pro or whatever and Photoshop was meant to be easy, try to democratize things. So why is it so hard? So most design programs were built in the era of desktops, where everything was um, very much desktop based. And to actually create something that looks professional, you have to go to all of these different platforms. So you go to a stock photography library and a layout library and a font library, and then you collaborate over email or Dropbox. And so it's a really time consuming process to actually create something that looks good. And you also have to navigate around lots of different pieces of software and programs. And so what we wanted to do was take it all and make it really, really simple and make it so simple, in fact, rather than taking a semester to learn where the buttons were like when I was teaching it takes 23 seconds to learn canvas so like literally it's just drag and drop and you can search for whatever you want and design something really professional but it sounds like maybe what you're talking about is a product that is for a different crowd I mean the people I, I used to be a video producer so I'll just put that out there I used Final Cut Pro for years and now here at Vox Media we're actually we're a premiere shop um, but I know people who like do this for a living you know they had they're working with a lot of heavy media they want to be at a desktop they want that desktop desktop real estate they need external hard drives they, you know they need a mouse they need like all this stuff for like precision work for heavy media and that sort of thing but it sounds like what you're describing is we want to give people access to some of those features but it's really more consumers that's exactly right. So a lot of people have been using things like Microsoft PowerPoint and Publisher, but they would like to have mm-hmm. the beautiful output of someone who really knows that, how to design great things. And so people who've never had that design experience before can design something super quickly. But we're also finding a lot of graphic designers using the platform so they can create templates on the platform. And rather than having to make every tiny text tweak on a business card or on a pitch deck, they can actually create that template that then the rest of the organization can use, um, which has been really effective. So the idea is simplifying design. Now, everyone had used Adobe, correct? Adobe and all, all the other things. And they ha- you have 11 million users, correct? Yeah, that's um, right. Adobe says they has 23 million new Adobe IDs through their mobile apps. And, and they're trying to move into the mobile area and make it easier. Who are you aiming for? Because Adobe is used, as Lauren said, by designers and others who, which have heavy-duty needs. We're finding pretty much every single industry and every profession is becoming more visual and having to create a lot more visual right. content nowadays. So a journalist is having to create graphics for we social media. That. We keep hearing that and we're disgusted by it because we're so untalented at design. Well, not, but that's exactly why we've got me, that platform but, yeah. to enable everyone to create graphics. So even like sales letters used to be written like just in you know, on a 
pen and paper or on a typewriter or on a computer right. or on a desktop publishing software. And now they're having to create beautiful pitch decks. Um, we had a really funny instance where a um, sheriff's in the U.S. is creating a wanted poster. They have wanted Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. um, like pretty much every single industry is Wanted Wednesdays? Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, so they just put out their wanted posters? <laughs> they do. They create wanted posters in Canva and then post uh -huh. it on Twitter. Do you was... do that kind of old-timey <laughs> Western thing for them? No, they were going with a modern look. Oh, are they? It was, okay. it was, it was like very fascinating. mustaches and yeah. hats black bar that's interesting <laughs> so give us examples of what it's being used for besides you have sheriffs but what else give us some more examples so social media marketers to create graphics for all of the different social networks, startups creating pitch decks, um, small businesses creating all of their marketing materials because you can use it to create things for print or for online um, or for social media as well. Are people paying to use Canva? Yeah, so Canva is completely free to use um, in our free platform. You can also purchase $1 images, which gives you the right to use it in one design. Um, but we also launched Canva for Work late last year, and we already have 50,000 paying users on that platform. And how is that different? So there's all sorts of things in Canva for Work that you can use. So you can save your brand color, you can save your brand fonts, upload your logos, and then save all of the templates as well. So we're finding some really big organizations are starting to use it, like Huffington Post and Yelp and Lonely Planet, to do exactly what I was mentioning before around graphic designers, creating those templates, the rest of the organization using it, and then being able to have a consistent brand identity across all of your different marketing materials. And are, are people, when they're paying for Canva to use Canva, are they paying for a cloud storage service as well? Like everything's being stored in Canva's cloud or is everything being downloaded or worked off of locally? Um, so everything, even in the free platform, stored in the cloud. So you can save your photos, you can save all of your images and designs as well. Um, and you can also collaborate. So rather than having to send emails backwards and forwards and sending content around, you can literally just send a link. So the idea is that the entire platform is just online, natively web, to make it really, really simple. Um, it's all integrated. But let's say I wanted to, you know, I worked on a photo or I worked on a, a video in Canva and that I wanted to download it and just share, you know, embed it somewhere else. I can do that because one of the things that Adobe has done with some of its mobile apps is it makes it really easy for people to create stuff on mobile, like on the iPad, for example. But then if you want to share it, you have to share a link. It generates a unique URL. And then I'm like, well, I want to own this asset. I want to, I've made this photo and I've made it really pretty and I want to share it however I want to and download it locally. I can still do that with Canva. I can download my you know, photo and have it on my desktop or phone and do whatever I want with it from there. And it's not like a unique URL. That's absolutely right. So you can download it as a PDF or as a PNG, or you can share it directly to social networks. So you have um, all of that flexibility. You can do whatever you want with your designs. But the bigger picture is things are getting simplified that used to sort of be the priests of design or the priests of communications. Now Slack has made it super easy, for example, to do communications corporately. Now that was enormous business. Mm -hmm. Are you sort of aiming to get rid of designers or, or just unleash the designer and everybody or, or the sort of get the sort of lowest rung of that. Absolutely, to unleash the designer and everyone. And to also enable designers to have more leverage within the organization. So rather than design being something like, for example, salespeople are often totally neglected by the design team because they're having, to, the designers are focusing on marketing materials and corporate communications. And so having mm -hmm. the designers being able to have way more leverage within the organization because they can create those templates for the rest of the organization is super helpful. But then also every mom and dad store, every corner store, every coffee shop, they need to create a lot more graphics nowadays. So 
everyone, even like your resume needs to look beautiful nowadays. So being able to create a lot more graphics and having it look really professional um, is incredibly important. Can you talk about cool. the bigger picture of things moving to visual? Because it's a very big deal in, in journalism. Obviously, video is becoming important. Graphics, as you said, are becoming important. Talk about why that is. Why do you think the visual has become so important, in the, especially in the digital space? So as we've moved to social media, everything is becoming a lot quicker and you need to, visuals have so much more impact than lots of text. People have such a short attention span. They want to get the information as quickly as possible. And you find that there's so much more engagement on an image than on text-based language. And so as soon as you can get your message across really quickly and succinctly in an image and in a design, that has so much more power. It gets shared so much more rapidly across different social networks as well. But we're seeing this not only on social media, trending throughout all of our communications. So when you're seeing sales letters and pitch decks, you're needing to get the message across so quickly. Um, And we're seeing that go through every single industry. Melanie, talk a little bit about Australia's tech startup scene for people uh, who don't know much about it, like myself, admittedly. You know, what's it like building a company there? It's been growing so rapidly. When I first started my company, I hadn't even heard of what startups were, um, let alone the whole venture capital scene. But nowadays in Sydney, we're getting some really great investors. So one of our investors are Blackbird Ventures, um, who are based here, and they've got a really global mindset. We're also seeing great startups coming up, um, like Atlassian, who've IPO'd recently and are doing an amazing job and helping put Australia on the map. And then there's a lot of other great companies like Campaign Monitor, um, Vino Mofo, She's of Prey. Um, we're really starting to see a lot of great tech startups coming um, with a really global mindset. I think because we're based here in Australia, it's so important um, that we have a global mindset from day one. We've only got 20 something million people in our country. And so having a really global mindset is important from day dot. Are the majority of your users in Australia? No, actually, 40 plus percent of our users are in the US. And then we're in 179 countries. We just launched in seven languages and we'll be launched in 20 by the end of the year. So when you talk about the Australian mindset, there's lots of areas of the world that have been trying to mimic Silicon Valley. Is that a smart thing for you all to do? or Because you do need access to capital, venture capital. And except for China, there hasn't been you know a place where there's been very vibrant, large companies. There's no Facebooks in Australia or anywhere else. And a lot of the companies tend to get bought in many of these regions. Can you talk about the, the challenges you face as an entrepreneur in, an, in what's considered an outlying area? I feel like we get really the best of both worlds. So we have a lot of our investors are from Silicon Valley. So we're able to really tap into their experience of building big companies before. And then we also have an extreme advantage, I think, in able to, we're able to hire incredible engineers based here in Australia. We have our product team based here, which means that we're able to hire great people really quickly. One of the first people I met in Silicon Valley was Lars Rasmussen, who co-founded Google Maps. And he mm-hmm. has set our technical bar incredibly high. So we have an absolutely world-class engineer engineering product team, um, which I think has been a lot easier to set up here than in Silicon Valley, where there's such huge talent wars at the moment. Um, So I think it's really important to be able to get the best of both worlds, to be able to take all that experience from Silicon Valley, but then also to be able to build such a great loyal team here in Australia. I don't want to suggest that you should move to San Francisco, right? I don't want to take an elitist view of, well, if you're a tech startup, you should be in San Francisco. But have you considered a move to the U.S.? at any point or moving the company here? And if so, why? Like, I'm just very curious to hear what the outside perception is of San Francisco right now. 
Yeah, it's actually quite funny. In our very early days, all of our investors were saying, you have to move to San Francisco. In fact, even before they invested, they were like, we will invest only if you move to San Francisco. But now I think that investors are a lot happier having us in Australia as they see that we're able to hire an incredible team. We now have 120 people across our two offices um, who are doing an exceptional job and we have an incredibly high talent bar. And so being able to build a really great tech team here in Australia, I think is actually a huge advantage for us. But now I think it's quite funny enough very early days when we were trying to pitch investors, which took us a really long time. We were pitching hundreds of people before we actually landed investment. But in our last round, we had five firms come from Silicon Valley here to Australia. So I think times are changing. And that being Mm -hmm. able to have an incredible team elsewhere is actually a huge competitive advantage. Talk about being a woman entrepreneur. It's, you know, there's issues in Silicon Valley. There aren't very many and there's not that many CEOs. And you understand, Is is that different here? Or what are the challenges you face in that area? I think the funny thing is I've never even considered myself much of a female CEO. Of course, I consider myself female and a CEO, but I hadn't realized that it was something that was atypical until recently when I'd started reading all the articles saying how atypical it was. Um, I've just always been really focused on what I would like to do. I would want to, we want to change the entire way the world designs and creates content. And so every time there's just been another challenge, like we need to raise capital or we need to launch in another market or whatever it is, build an incredible product. And so we really focus just on the challenges ahead of me and don't really let the statistics get in the way. But how do you solve the statistics? You can't ignore them. Well, I think the best way to solve them is to have an awesome company and do awesome things. In a minute, Melanie's going to help us answer some questions from our readers and listeners. But first... Today's show is sponsored by Qualcomm. They were the company that first connected our phones to the internet, making our phones smart. And now they're connecting the internet to everything else. Most people don't know this, but Qualcomm creates the technologies we use every day. Whether it's powering experiences in our smartphones, Wi-Fi in our routers, sensors in our cars, or virtual reality, Qualcomm is leading the way to a fully connected world. Technology is at a pivotal juncture. Billions of devices are becoming connected, affecting not only how we communicate with each other, but how entire industries are shaped. From healthcare and automobiles to smart homes and smart cities, Qualcomm is leading the wave of innovation that will significantly improve how we live. They're accelerating the seamless connectivity as well as intelligence of billions of other devices and leading the world to 5G if that's where we want to get. Today's show is also brought to you by Videoblocks, a stock media company that everyone can afford. With Videoblocks subscription, you get unlimited daily downloads from a library of 115,000 HD video clips, after effect templates, motion backgrounds, and cinemagraphs, whatever that is, but you're going to get it. On average, subscribers pay less than a dollar per download over the course of a year. This is the same content you'd find on more expensive sites. It's just way cheaper. Videoblocks is always adding new content to the library so it stays fresh. As a subscriber, you get everything 100% royalty-free, even if you cancel your subscription. You heard that right. Whether you're working on a personal or commercial project, you pay zero royalties and keep what you download forever. Videoblocks is offering our listeners a one-year subscription for $99. This is $50 off the annual price tag for our listeners only. That's less than $10 a month. Get your yearly subscription today for only $99 at videoblocks.com slash ask. That's videoblocks, which is V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash ask for this exclusive offer. Kara, in the time it took you to read that, I watched 10 cat videos because did you know that today is International Cat Day? I'm sure you're celebrating and having a giant party tonight with you and your group of sad friends and celebrating the cat. Listen, I only have one cat, okay? Would I like more? That's another podcast. 
All right, we'll do cats on our next podcast. All right, every week we ask our readers and listeners to send in their questions, comments, and complaints about tech topics, and you can do that too by tweeting us with the hashtag TooEmbarrassed. This week we asked our listeners their questions about design apps. Lauren, you want to read the first question? Sure. The first one is from Eric Tash. He's at FastTash on Twitter. That's a cool handle there, Eric. I'm going to add a little caveat to his question. He asks, best creative tools for someone who doesn't know Photoshop and best video editing tools for YouTube uploads. Hashtag too embarrassed. I'm going to go on a limb here, Melanie, and say the best tools in your opinion, aside from Canva, if he's looking for, let's say, something for editing videos for YouTube uploads. So aside from Canva is hard because I created Canva because I saw a huge gap in the market. But for video uploads, I'm actually quite fond of iMovie myself. And also I use this product called ScreenFlow as well. We use that quite a lot to create our um, graphics. Explain that. It's a downloadable software, but you can actually use it very quickly to take screen captures of your product and then to upload that on online. Excellent. I've used iMovie. I have to say I use Final Cut Pro more probably than I ever used iMovie, but I think for a lot of basic video editing needs, you know, nothing too fancy in terms of effects and, you know, text across the video and things like that. iMovie is pretty straightforward. Kara, what about you? Do you ever use anything to edit video? Uh, no, I do not. I don't use any video editing tools, although I did when I used to do my crazy movies, but I didn't do much. I didn't. I tried to keep them simple and raw, and you know how popular they were in that way. Talk a little bit about this idea of things that are easier. Why haven't they been easier until now? I think technology has changed dramatically in recent years. So the capabilities of HTML5 were so much worse a few years ago. And it's only now that with all of this technology, with access to incredible mobile apps that have um, a lot more power on our phones, we're able to create a lot more incredibly rich content and incredibly rich applications. So if you look at our software that we developed you know, 10 years ago, it was incredibly different. The ability to actually move and manipulate things in the browser was incredibly different. But now with the power of HTML5, we're able to create things that are a lot more dynamic and rich content much more easily. Do you think at all, Melanie, it's, and I don't want to ask a leading question, but do you think it's at all generational? And I ask this because I've seen my friends, you know, nine-year-old kids pick up an iPad and shoot something and edit it using iMovie and upload it to Facebook. And they like, they don't think twice about it. Um, Whereas, you know, maybe for other people who like grow up with an iPad and they're a cam, you know, smartphone in their hands, it might be different. I think it's absolutely the technology that people are growing up with and have access to nowadays is completely different from even 10, 20 years ago, or definitely 20 years ago, but in particular 10. So we've really changed like with our smartphones and tablets and um, the ability to have incredibly rich content on the web has dramatically changed in recent years, which gives us so much more power to be able to create great content. And I think that even in the last 15 years, if you look at all of the different things that were still growing, like stock photography libraries have only popped up in the last 15, 20 years. And so with the internet, things have changed dramatically. And so now rather than creating things that are sort of desktop based and web based and trying to piece everything together, companies like Canva are able to create things that are natively web and make the entire experience much more simple and integrated. All right. The next question is from Paul Burt. He's at that might be Paul on Twitter. This is about audio. So maybe we'll have to, I don't know, we'll see if we can answer this one. What's your favorite modestly priced way to capture sound at events and later attach it to video? And then he's asking for microphone recommendations, but I think we're going to have to save that for a different podcast. I mean, Melanie, if you uh, have an answer, I'd love to hear it. I usually use um, an app called Recorder Pro. 
on my smartphone and that does a fairly good job as a journalist. Um, I don't know if I'd use it to capture sound at like a noisy concert, but for one-on-one interviews, it's pretty good. Do you guys use anything? I actually have a better answer for the video question, if that's of help. Yeah, that'd be great. On my iPhone, I actually use an app called One Second Every Day, and I take one-second videos. It's actually quite funny. I take one second of people blowing bubbles (laughs) and have compiled um, the last year of my life in bubble videos. It's quite hilarious. Um, But it's a really fun app to use and just stitches one second um, every day together. Wow. That would be bad for me. This question is from Elliot Rains at Elliot Rains on Twitter. What is a good iMovie alternative for Windows, i.e. something less serious than Premiere, or is Premiere the go-to? Now, Melanie, there are a lot of questions about video, more than graphics than anything else. Are you guys moving into video? And then Lauren perhaps can answer this because she's got more video experience. Yes. In fact, we have so many plans. We feel like we've done 1% of what we believe Canva is capable of. But our idea of taking everything and making it really simple and integrated definitely covers a lot more mediums, that's for sure. So what would be the challenges of video? There's a lot of challenges, for example, making sure it's really reliable um, and really quick to load. But we think the platform that we've created with Canva is able to be used across all sorts of different mediums. Um, The whole point of Canva is that it's an end-to-end system. So you can have an idea and then you can have your final output very, very quickly and easily. And using the same tool without having to learn something different for um, all sorts of different mediums. So usually if you're trying to create a blog graphic or a presentation or a video or other mediums, as you can imagine, you would have to use different software. But our belief is that everything should be integrated and you should have to learn one software rather than having to learn lots of different things. All right, Lauren, you want to answer that also? Sure. I mean, it seems that um, if you're looking for a good iMovie alternative for Windows, um, Premiere really is the go-to. But, you know, Adobe Premiere and Adobe Photoshop are those types of programs that you open and you just see like a dozen different options right away. Even if you're familiar with a timeline-based video editing interface, you look at it and it's easy to be very overwhelmed because there's so much going on. But unfortunately, it seems like that's your best alternative on the desktop. Like I said earlier, Adobe Now does have some pretty user-friendly mobile apps for things like editing video. I think there's one called Voice. There's one called Slate. There are a couple others that are free and might be a little bit easier to use. And then I have never used Sony's uh, desktop video editing software, but some people have told me that they prefer using Sony. I think if you look at uh, Movie Studio 13, maybe one of the newest ones that they have, and that does run on Windows. So that might be something to look into. And it's relatively inexpensive. I think it's around 50 bucks. So that might be some alternatives for people looking for Windows-based editing software. Great. The last question is from Benjamin Jex at Benjamin Jex. How do you pick among creative directions for a project? How do you help people do that, Melanie? So there's so many things and aspects to that. So with our product, our absolute focus is on simplicity. So we want to make it really, really simple and obvious. And our product design team spends weeks trying to figure out what is the simplest solution that will be just so obvious that when you see it, you know exactly how to use it without having to read an instruction manual. Um, When you're actually designing a graphic or a presentation or a pitch deck, the idea really is about communication. So you want, as soon as you look at that graphic, you want to be able to exactly say what it's meaning um, without having to dive too much deeper into it. You want it to have in one second to be able to say what you're 
you're trying to say. So for example, one tip that's really important is to make sure your visual hierarchy is correct. What is the first thing that you look at? So you should have a really bold graphic or a bold heading, and that should be very obvious what you want the reader to look at first. Um, so hierarchy is an incredibly important thing. We actually have an entire design school that's completely free to use um, called Design School at Canva. And so there's actually all sorts of great tips and tricks in there. If you've had no design experience, it's designed exactly for you. Great. I think that's probably one of the best things of editing software that we're seeing now, like Canva, like some of the more um, user-friendly Adobe applications. When you first sign up, it sometimes they say, like, what kind of project are you looking to do? And then actually suggest templates for you. And while some pros may say, oh, this feels so unoriginal, for most people, it's like, great, I'm just looking to make a flyer or a party invite or punch up my Instagram. And this is like exactly what I'm looking for. Okay, Melanie, before we let you go, we're going to play a little game called Too Embarrassed to Answer, in which we ask you questions that are not related to your business or area of expertise and see if you've been following the news. And this week, it's all about the Olympics, which have been very exciting so far. So we're going to see whether or not you've been following the Olympics at all. And it's multiple choice. So if you don't know, you can always guess. Kara, do you want to read the first question? Sure. A report in The Verge notes that two Olympic athletes have been spotted with large round marks on their back, which it turns out are left by an ancient Chinese healing technique that uses suction cups to relieve pain. What is this technique called? A, hickeying, B, chorting, C, cupping. I'm going to go have to lock in option C there, but I have to admit I don't have a TV and I don't, <laughs> haven't been following it. Nah. Too closely. That's all right. Well, you are typical correct. millennial. So uh, you used some pretty good context clues there, and you, you are correct. And by the way, if you win, Kara has to buy you lunch while she's in Australia, so make sure that she does that. Okay, <laughs> no. our second one is one of our U.S. Olympic athletes crushed her own world record in an event over the weekend. Who is the athlete, and in which event did she win the gold? Was it A, Lauren Fendrick? She's a volleyball player who has won the award for both record number of digs and record number of visible abs. Seriously, those volleyball players are in amazing shape. It's quite impressive. B, Katie Ledecky, who finished the 400 freestyle in enough time to watch her own replay on the screens above. Or C, Hope Solo, who broke the world record in soccer saves in a single game while maintaining effortless cool. I think I'm going to lock in option B, but I'm not really sure, to be honest. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. You are correct. Katie Ledecky, she's an amazing swimmer. It was super awesome to watch. Okay, and then Kara, do you want to read the third one? Certainly. Which U.S. Olymp... We're so U.S.-based, Because we're here. <laughs> oh, yeah, Which I'm sorry. I put more Australians <laughs> Which in Australian there? athlete insulted the Chinese? No, they, that was a good story here <laughs> yesterday. Uh, well, the Chinese were offended by what probably was... They were probably guilty of. Uh, which U.S. Olympian has a heartbreaking loss when three of her competitors passed her in the final seconds of an event? Gymnast Simone Biles, cyclist Mara Abbott, women's trap shooter Corey Cogdell. I'm going to go for option C. Oh, so close. You got two out of three. It was actually B, cyclist Mara Abbott, who was in the lead for the most of the race. And then uh, her closest competitor actually crashed, had this terrible crash. Fortunately, it looks like she's going to be okay. And then um, that woman is from the Netherlands. And then another person from her team came and just beat Mara Abbott in the final seconds. And it was really, it was, it was quite a race. And then the trap shooter story is really interesting. I'm like getting too Olympics nerdy now, but it it seems as though there were news headlines that said a Chicago Bears player's wife won the bronze medal. And people were kind of upset about that because you should just say her name. And that was Corey Cogdell. She's the women's trap shooter who won bronze. And, you know, who cares who her husband is, right? 
But you did get two out of three, Melanie, so I think you won. I mean, I think Kara owes you lunch. I don't know. All right, all right, you. Mel, thanks so much for joining us. This has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Yes, Melanie, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And if you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. And subscribing is great. You'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. That's iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. You can also subscribe on Google Play Music, TuneIn, or Stitcher. Or you can just go to the website. You can listen to every episode at Recode.net slash podcasts. And while you're there, you should check out our other podcasts like Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. The Verge also has some great podcasts for your listening pleasure. Walt Mossberg and Neil Patel host Control, Walt, Delete. They have a lot of fun on that show, so check it out. Neil also usually hosts The Verge Cast. Chris Plant has What's Tech. And Liz Lopato and Emily Yoshida host Verge ESP. Don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag TooEmbarrassed. Thanks for listening and thank you again for our sponsors Casper, Qualcomm, and Videoblocks. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. Thank you, Mel, for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll be back next week to answer more questions that you've been too embarrassed to ask. Lauren, I'm going to come back to San Francisco briefly. Because how can you miss me if I won't go away? (laughs) I'll be sure to be there. Tune in then. Thanks a lot.